Welcome to ConX, a global leadership platform for construction executives. Today, I have Mark with me on the uh, on the call. Uh, Mark, how you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, he's with he he, uh, he he works with Great Construction. And so, tell us about number one, you. Where'd you grow up? What did you, what kind of led you where you're where you at today? And then, secondly, talk a little bit about Gray. I mean. Um, I, obviously, I know a little something about Gray, but I think it's uh, good to hear from uh, people who work there. So tell us about yourself, Mark. Yeah, so uh, my name is Mark Garrison, and I'm originally from Tennessee. I uh, graduated from the University of Memphis with a Bachelor in Fine Arts and Architecture. Um, hey, by the way, did you uh, did you root for Kentucky or Tennessee when, when Kentucky killed them this past week? Oh, there, there's, there's two things that uh, Memphis and Kentucky have in common, and that's the hatred of Tennessee. So... <laughs> Okay, all right. Well, that sounds good. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's fine. So, uh, yeah, no, the, the, it's funny because I'm a graduate of both the University of Memphis and the University of Kentucky. So after uh, University of Memphis, uh, you know, we hate Louisville as well as uh, as Tennessee. <laughs> and so I come to Kentucky and we hate Tennessee and Louisville. So it was really a good fit. But I came up here um, in 2007, moved to Lexington and did my master's uh, in architecture from the University of Kentucky. And, uh, you know, that road uh, to get here was 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 interesting and, and it's a whole nother story. But, um, you know, once once it was here, uh, Gray uh, and some of its employees did some did some kind of adjunct teaching and professors professorships with uh, with the University of Kentucky. And that's how I originally got connected with Gray was with uh, Melody Ferris Jackson, who was my uh, assistant professor within grad school and her husband, Ron Jackson. Um, oh, okay. And then when I graduated, I originally wanted to work at Gray. And then that was during the uh, during the recession back in uh, the late, I guess we'd call them 2000 single digits before the teens um, and really wanted to come to Gray. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't have anything open at that time. So I went and worked another job. And then um, then a few months after actually about two years after I left Lexington, um, Ron called me up and said, hey, Mark, I, I know you've always wanted to work at Gray and we're looking at hiring again. Gray was on one of those um, uh, kind of hiring bumps. And mm -hmm. uh, I jumped on board back in 2012 and um, and came back to came back to Lexington and started working in my career at Gray. So uh, so you grew up in Memphis, you said? That is correct. Yep. Yep. So uh, were you there when uh, Calipari, well, Calipari was there when you were there? He, he was there. I actually um, used to go to when I was in school, I, I started there in the, the fall of 2000. Uh, yeah, fall of 2000. I think he was hired in 99. And uh, I would I used to go to Midnight Madness when it was actually at min, at midnight uh, on like a Friday night or Saturday night. Uh, it was on campus in the girls gym. And there was usually about, you know, four or five hundred people there. And uh, it's it's really funny to I, do, I don't know the man. You know, he doesn't know me, but I've seen in my life has paralleled, you know, with my professional or academic and professional career and so on and so forth. And, and that that same message that he he talks about now about leadership and developing people um, and those sorts of things is the same message that he gave, you know, back in those first days and those early days in Memphis. So oh, wow, it's, uh, wow. it's really it's really kind of funny to see that. Uh, uh, parallel you know it's, it's the same guys teaching the same message of of leadership and developing guys you know making the guys be the best of who they can be and and etc so 
So uh, forgive me if I offend you here, but are you an architect or an engineer? I'm an architect, correct. Okay, okay. Well, yeah. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, uh, to uh, insult you in any way. That way, I don't no, know no, if that no. was a bad I, thing or a bad thing. No, I, I, sh I should have gone, I should have gone, my wife will tell you, we should have gone the engineering route over the architecture route. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, no, uh, when I when I when I started the University of Memphis, it was actually in the engineering department. So a lot of my core curricular classes that I did were were based in engineering, um, and then the program switched from the engineering college to the College of Fine Arts. So I actually am rooted in engineering, and that's where my my base kind of started my education. And then I I was tended to lean more towards the uh, artistic side, which led me to more towards architecture. So. So what, uh, uh, you know, you, you say you lean more that, that way. Did you know that growing up or how did, you know, how did you come to that conclusion? Um, it, mostly just trial and error and just kind of taking the, the path that the Lord set before me um, and different, uh, you know, different opportunities that were set before me. Um, just kind of taking advantage of what was given to me. And then, you know, I'd always been uh, good at math and had a, a strong technical skill. Um, but also had the uh, the artistic side where self-expression and, and visualization was really a big part of of, of what I enjoy doing. And um, I loved art uh, in school and in different different classes through through my uh, through my primary and secondary education. I always took art um, and really excelled at that. So um, you know, when looking for for profession, it was either engineering, it was very technical. Or architecture that led more towards the arts. So, so how does how do how do um, you know in your role as an architect, wh what do you do every day in your role? So my role at Gray is I'm I'm currently uh, assistant design manager, um, but I've had a a couple of different roles uh, leading to that point um, before our uh, before I left Gray and moved to Africa. I was in uh, more the visualization side. I did the BIM and VDC side. Um, and then even before that, I started as, you know, as most people do out of school as an architectural technician. So um, leading through that, it's, you know, it's been heavy on the technical side. I've done the visualization side. I've done the coordination side, um, you know, been in between construction and design. So I think um, Gray is, as a, as a professional entity, you know, being a design build firm, you get the best of both of those. You know, there's some projects that are really creative and you get to explore that side and there's other sides and aspects of the projects that are very technical. So it's kind well, of giving you know, me that balance between the two. Well, Gray does some really interesting things. I've, I've always said it, you know, cause I, I didn't really know anything about Gray till I moved down here back in 2006. And mm -hmm. uh, I, it was, uh, I had some friends that worked there and, um, it's just a, and then I got to know Jim over the time, and uh, and it's it's a, uh, you know, it's a, I've never I've never been part of a design build team kind of like you guys have set up, so that's that's mm -hmm. really really interesting. Um, probably you probably have something to appreciate because you came from a different position uh, before. What were you doing in the the other job that you had before you were great? So before Gray, um, I worked for Nucor. Um, Nucor uh, Metal Building Systems, uh -huh. and they actually hired me um, because of the creative side of of coming from an architectural background. And I actually worked with a bunch of programmers and engineers, and did the uh, the data translation uh, from their 
MVS software into a visualized program called Tecla. And so I was kind of the mediator between the drafting department and the, um, and the programmers and the engineering department to develop a, uh, uh, an integration system from MBS to Tecla, which allowed their drafters to visualize their buildings and do their detailing uh, actually in 3D. And then that process translated into their, uh, into their machine and their, sh their fabrication shop. Well, and you know, you brought up some good points there. I want to, I want to pick your brain about a little bit. Well, mm -hmm. first, uh, first off, you know, I normally ask people about like the business model, the company they work with and stuff like that, but I'm more interested with you when it comes to the BIM side of things. Mm -hmm. um, tell us what, you know, uh, from, I'm a construction guy and I've used, mm -hmm. I've used BIM very limited and I know what the reputation among general contractors with BIM is sometimes. <laughs> what, what, give us your sales pitch slash what do you think it does well? What do you think the concept of uh, building information modeling uh, does well and what it doesn't do so well at? Uh, well, that's a, that's a loaded question with a lot of different paths that we could take, but just from a, uh, you know, a 10,000 foot level, uh, BIM and building information modeling is a tool. And as with any tool, um, you have to ha have somebody who knows what they're doing in order to utilize it to its maximum potential. Mm -hmm. And with, with BIM, you know, what, what you put into it is what you're going to get out. You can't expect to put in garbage and expect it to come out clean and pretty on the other side. And that's where somebody like myself and you know or i mean there's people that are so much better at it than i am but somebody like myself in that role can can clean up that data and that information that going that's going into your model so that on the back side when you're trying to extract that information it comes out in a in a in a method and in a, in a legibility that's able to be understood so that people can use it downstream so that's so a that's a it's kind of a technical way but um of, of explaining it but what do you I think found... uh, what do you think the uh do you think that the i hate to use the word downside but mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you think some of the things that bim struck in the current configuration of using the different softwares whether it's revit or anything else what mm -hmm. what do you believe is the um is you know really the 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 downside i you know the big question that i get from a lot of people is like okay, what size job has been best on? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's a that's another little question. What's your answer to something when somebody said that to you? Uh, it takes a lot of effort and energy to put in the information um, and you have to weigh what the outcome is on the other side. Is it worth it to take this time and effort and energy to put that information into my model and does it benefit me downstream? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say, well, you know, a ten million dollar job is too small and a hundred million dollar job is too big. I'm not gonna say that because it, it depends on what you're trying to get at. What is your goal? If your goal is just visualization, then yeah, you don't need to put all the, you know, the 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 temperature ratings for your rooms or you know, um, you know, stuff that calculates your U and R values for your wall computations, and you don't need to, you don't need to put that information in there because it's not it's not useful for you. Or vice versa, if you're trying to do a, you know, a, 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 an analysis for your consumed 
consumables for your HVAC system, how much airflow you get into, and you're doing a simulation model, then yeah, you need to put that information into it. If you're doing an environmental study to um, um, to calculate your comm check, then yeah, that, that information is valid. You don't need to pick out materials to go on your, your walls if you're doing that. So it just, you know, there again, it's a tool. You put in the information that you feel like is relevant and valued in your project, and then you're able to extract that and use that. So. And what, and you know what, what you preach here is exactly what I preach related to scheduling software. It's mm -hmm. like, well, gosh, man, there's a hundred thousand different features it has, but that doesn't mean you need to use all of them, you know? Nope. So, um, and that's kind of interesting. It's kind of like, do I, do I put, I, I remember on a project I was working on, we used BIM. We, uh, uh, after we were done, we ran a, a conflict analysis a tool and, and come to find out, you know, by putting the can lights in, it wouldn't really give us a lot of value, but we did it anyhow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it gave us a plethora of conflicts between the drywall and the, mm -hmm. and the can itself. So, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, do you have any, you know, stories of what you thought it really worked well doing and, and some worked, you know, it was a little bit more challenging, maybe, maybe not worked well on. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing that I've found in my professional career, didn't matter where I was at, is understanding the expectations of, of the software mm -hmm. and the limitations and then tailoring those to what the expectation is of the end user, whether it be the owner, or whether it be a construction, uh, like a project manager or, or, or who it may be. But understanding those and defining those up front, then you can use, you know, yeah, like you said, there's a hundred thousand different configurations that you can set to. Well, I don't need all those. You know, I need 10 of them or I need a hundred of them, whatever it may be, whatever your team decides, whatever the, the owner wants in the long term. You know, and then writing and, and um, kind of putting together a workflow where you can utilize that to the best of your abilities and then ultimately serving the team the best that they can be served. Because that's, that's really what it's about. I mean, if I'm just, if I'm sitting here, I'm, you know, say I'm doing a side project for somebody in their, in their kitchen. Well, they don't, they don't really care about scheduling or any of that sort of stuff. They care about looking at their kitchen cabinets and their sink and their countertops and applying material textures to it. But the project manager cares about, you know, the size of the cabinets that you're using. And does that fall into the, the standardization of the cabinet supplier? If it doesn't, then what, you know, what, what am I doing? You know, it's, it's pretty, makes a pretty picture, but it doesn't get the project manager what he wants. And that's just a small example, but um, it, it really, it really plays to the, how do you utilize something to benefit me? I'm spending all this money. I'm hiring these people. What, what am I going to do and how am I going to direct them so that they can see succeed and be the best and do the best that they can do without, you know, without wasting your time, but at the same time, pushing the project forward so that people downstream can use that information and that data. Yeah. And I love the, I, I term it as what's the, you know, let me show you the value proposition, what this brings and finding the, somebody who understands it well enough to mm. identify what that value proposition is, is essential. And uh, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's some type of graphical curve out there that will show you that, you know, the time that you put into it and the value that you get out of it, there's, there's some type of, 
you know, graph, they'll show you that at some point you reach that maximum, that maximum curvature. And you find out that I could put as much information into here as I want to, but it doesn't add any value to my, my project. So. So speaking a little bit more big picture here, you know, um, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, you've, you've come into the industry and been very successful at what you do. What would you think those skills and ability that you possess that you maybe can impart upon others or, you know, if you're a executive with a company, what can you tell them for things they need to look, look at to, to bring somebody in um, that would bring value to their company? Well, success is relative. Um, <laughs> I, I'm glad you think I've been successful. That makes me feel good about myself, but. Um, and I'm not just mentioning yeah. Okay. I mean, we'll be on that, but no. go ahead. Right. Um, thanks. Um, I think that I've brought to the table just in my experience, um, the ability to think, um, logically and help direct the team in order to fulfill everything that we just talked about, you know, about understanding what the project's needs are understanding what our limitations are and being able to, to mold that and form that. So it meets the expectations of, of what we're trying to do. And a lot of times, and I've run into this with, with workmates, I've run into this with owners, you know, they just think it's this, this magic wand that you just, you know, hover over your computer and it just does what it's supposed to do. Or uh, this is, this is one of my favorites. I had a boss that said, look, I don't care how long it takes. I just want to be able to press one button and everything gets done. And it's like, and it's like, the, you know, and that was really his answer. His response is, I just, I just want to be able to press one button and it knows everything that I'm thinking and it does everything that's supposed to be done and then it spits it out the other side. And so, you know, bringing that, that kind of sense of reason and that, that sense of logic to that extreme is like, man, I, I gotta, I gotta be able to tailor your expectations to, to understand what we're, what we're actually doing here. And so through my experience, um, and working in a number of different companies, um, I've got field experience, you know, I've, I worked, uh, I worked a while building, building wind turbines out West for a company, you know, I've worked in a fabrication facility. I've worked in the office doing details. Um, and I, I think I would like to think that my experience on those, on all three of those levels has led me to be able to critically analyze and critically think through problems um, to help our team out. And again, BIM is just a tool. It's just another tool that we have in our bag that helps us just like Microsoft Excel or um, whatever scheduling software that we choose to use on a project. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. It's understanding what that software brings and what it adds to our project. Um, and I've seen it in the field. I've seen it in the office. I've seen it on all on all levels. And, see, that's a, and that's the difference right there between like, you know, I talk to people all the time and I said, well, scheduling, you're either going to get two two different types of people. You're either going to get people who are are strictly computer geeks, you know, that mm -hmm. know how to use the software, manipulate software, but know nothing about construction. But on the mm -hmm. other side, you're going to find out somebody who knows a lot about construction, but doesn't understand the software and some of the principles there. Having that combination of the two as i i call it scheduling wisdom you know mm -hmm. where you bring those two together is essential and it sounds like for you a lot a lot of what you do is is that and and I, that's well i try to as best i can but i do think that that's what i've been able to um 
to capitalize on in my career is being able to pull from those experiences, whether it be in the field or in the office or in a fab shop. Um, you know, I've sat there and watched the machines cut steel and connection plates and 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 weld different joints and connections and done rail connections and all that sort of stuff. Um, but at the same time, seeing them out there and actually been tightening the bolts to put them into place. And at the same time, I've been in the meetings with a structural engineer where I had to detail this stuff and make it all out. So pulling on all those different experiences, I feel has helped me in my career. So speaking, you know, kind of going down the track of experience here, um, mm -hmm. tell us about some of the more successful things that you've been able to do and some of the, some of the, I'm just going to say it, the F word, the failure word, you know, um, mm -hmm. tell us some of those things so that, you know, somebody who's listened to it, whether it is an executive or a person graduated from college, what would you say that, you know, some examples, I, everyone loves stories. So I'd love to hear mm -hmm. your stories of success and failures. Um, mm, let's start with failures. Cause I probably have more of those than, than successes, but, um, you know, I think two things about failures, don't ever be scared or afraid to fail. Um, failure is inevitable, um, but the lesson is that you need to learn from that failure so it doesn't happen again. Um, you know, there was a, there's been a number of times in my career where I've, you know, had deadlines that I have to meet and you work so hard to get to that deadline. And then you find out either A, you missed you were so focused on your deadline that you missed a big picture completing the project. Uh -huh. You know, you left a, a whole sheet of details off or you completely forgot to coordinate with said discipline. And, that, and that's happened before to me. And then you send all this information out to the field. And then like the next day or the next week, you just, <laughs> you end up answering all those emails and those phone calls about all the stuff you missed. And it's like, well, <laughs> that was a real fail. You know, <laughs> I sent all this information out to somebody and expect them to you know, figure it out, you know, um, and that's, I would say that's been a failure that I've repeated a number of times in my, in my career, but what I've done to, to learn from that is I've been more particular about what I look at, how I look at it, uh, when I look at it, um, and in, 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 in reviewing my work, um, is, is something that I used to not do. And now, even if I have a deadline, I'll complete the project or complete the work, stop, go back and review it, and then send it out. And sometimes it's just that little bit of pause. And yeah, sometimes we can get so focused on that goal of meeting a deadline or whatever it may be that we forget to actually, hey, the content of this has to be good too before I send it out, so. Isn't it funny how like when you're younger, you don't understand fully, or at least I didn't understand what attention to detail meant until yep. you got burned a few times. <laughs> yep. Yep. And yep. that's one of the things that I don't think you could ever teach about attention to detail. It's got to be a learned the the process is through trial and error sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then you know, early on in my career it was all about meeting the deadline. I just got to meet the deadline. Just got to meet the deadline and and you know, and in various uh positions I've held and with different um uh different companies, sometimes it was all about the deadline. And, but the older I've, I've gotten in the, you know, 15 plus years that I've been in the, in the field, now it's like, wait a minute, I, it doesn't matter if I get it out on time. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go back and redo it again. So I have to do it again for the second time or maybe even the third time. So 
you know, making sure that you get quality when get, you put out and you output quality and that only does good and only helps people down the line rather than just rushing through just to get something done. Well, let, you know, and I know you automatically went for the failure side. So I want you to mm -hmm. be humble. I want you to tell me about a good successful story you had as a, a, either a project you worked on or you don't have to put names there, but mm -hmm. you know, uh, something successful you've been able to be part of. Uh, well, I have a family. Uh, I've been married for 15 years. Uh, I have four kids. No, that, that's probably my business. Largest success in life is, is my family. You said four kids? Um, I do have four kids, yes. Holy cow, I do too. So, so. Um, <laughs> something, something's wrong with us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, that is, um, it, it, and you know what? In, in all truthfulness, there's a lot to be said for that because you, you know what? Raising four children is the toughest job there mm -hmm. is, you know? Mm -hmm. So, don't tell your wife I said that because then she'll. Oh, she already she, she knows already but uh, <laughs> uh, but no but but on the on the professional side i'll give you i'll give you two uh, examples um one was a project um i was working on um out west um and the, and i was a you know a, just a one member of a of a much bigger team but uh when we had bid out this project we had we had bid it out um and i'll, I'll try to use as generic terms as possible because i don't want to um, incriminate anything, but, uh, we were, we were doing a number of erections, um, and, um, we had a total of 129, uh, wind turbines that we had to erect in, in said amount of time. And we, when we bid it out, I think we bid it out at about 635 man hours per erection sequence. And, you know, the first couple ones, they were, they were pushing 600, 800 hours, man hours per, per erection. But, um, you know, the leadership really set down with each group um, that we had. We had the, you know, the, the base erection, the mid, and uh, then the high erection. And then we had uh, technical sequencing and such that went on. Um, but really, they sat down with us. Um, and this came from the upper management of the project and said, what can we do to make your job easier and make you do the best that you can do? And what tools do you need to, to achieve that? Um, and then, and then, and then set us up and then let us go and let us do our thing and didn't micromanage us. Um, they listened to us. They heard what we said. They gave us the tools to do what we needed to do and then let us go and said, go. And we, um, we smashed all records on that project. We went from, you know, 635 man hours out that we had bidded it to we were down around 215 man hours by the end of the project per erection sequence. Wow. So, um, it was it was proof. And again, I was just a small cog in that wheel. But what I learned from that is the management understood what the problems were, how to succeed, set up set us up for because I was the leader of one of the small erection sequencing teams and then and then basically got out of the way and let us do our jobs. You know they were still there to encourage us and make sure that we we needed to do what we needed to do but um you know they pushed us when we needed to be pushed and they gave us breaks when we needed to have breaks and we finished the project um you know in about eight months and it was about eight months it, the whole the whole project took a little over eight months but um about six months ahead of schedule and far significant i mean way under what they had what they had bid out at so it was just really cool to see that play out um 
throughout the whole project and, and, and to see the players that, that really set us up to be the best at what we could do. So switching gears here, let mm -hmm. me ask you about some, you know, just personal, cause we have a group of people that are, uh, are younger that are that are interested in construction, uh, maybe going through college or just new in the industry. And if you had to give um, some personal advice to them, not professional, but personal, which is probably as if not more important than professional uh, advice, mm -hmm. what kind of advice would you give them? And you kind of alluded to a little something about your family, but mm -hmm. I'm interested to know from you if you have a young man or women sitting, sitting in front of you and want you to give them some personal advice, what would that be? Mm -hmm. um, I would assume this person has already gone through their educational training and is sitting here about to embark on their professional career. Uh -huh. um, and the, you know, the, uh, two things, first off, don't ever be so prideful that you can't ask for help. Um, because when, you know, when we all came out of school, we thought we knew everything and it was like, oh, I've got the world ahead of me. I know everything. Um, and so never be too prideful to ask for help because you don't know everything and you're going to fail and you're going to have to figure things out. Um, and then the second thing would be, you know, um, keep your family first and your work second, because you're going to be a much better employee if you do that, if you're, and you're also going to be a much, much better father, husband, wife, uh, spouse, whatever, you're going to be much better at that if you do that as well. There's no amount of work and there's no um, project that is more important than your family. Well said, well said. Well, so let's go, let's head to the speed round. And what this is, is I mm -hmm. have eight categories from one to 10, one being the least important, one being 10, the 10, the most important. Um, and it's just your perspective on it. Uh, more than mm -hmm. anything, you can explain why you believe that number is that number and they can all be tens. So okay. with that said, the first one is scheduling. Ooh, I would give that about an eight or a nine. I think scheduling is important, but there's one thing I've learned about scheduling is that it always changes. <laughs> <laughs> Estimate. There's nothing, there's nothing like a schedule to make, force you into making a bad decision. <laughs> yeah, no um, joke. Estimating. Um, estimating. Uh, you mean like like estimating with time, or you mean like material quantities and takeoffs and things like that? Uh, yeah, the the whole bidding process. Yes. Uh, I mean estimating. I would give it a nine. Um, you know, there's a there's a verse in the Bible, um, and I, I wish I was I wish I had my Bible in front of me. I could tell you, but it, you know, what does a builder, you know, do if he can't count the cost before he starts? Um, you know, we, we have to estimate and understand what we're getting ourselves into before we even start a project. Um, that doesn't just mean in financial, the financial side of things, um, but also means uh, in the time side of things too, in materials. So. Um, contra we have this one's contract, which is the paper contract and contract administration, the execution of that contract. Well, I, would, I mean, I gotta give that a 10. I mean, if you've signed a contract and you said this is what you're going to do, you know, you've you've got to be able to do that and perform those tasks. And if you don't, if you're not able to do that, then you know, what what you sign it for? And uh, what the next one is design. Mm -hmm. 
And this one should be high for you because you're an architect. <laughs> well, design is expensive, um, yes. but, but, you know, not as expensive uh, as fixing it. It's not, <laughs> I was just about to say, I was like, but good design can save you a lot of money. You know, I've yes. seen plenty of poor designs out there that, you know, two, three, four, five years down the road, you're paying somebody to go back and do the work again. And I was like, well, why didn't you just design that the right way to begin with? Oh, we couldn't design it the right way to begin with because it wasn't a part of our contract. Oh, we were too tight on schedule, so we couldn't spend the time to design that to begin with, you know. <laughs> um, I, I've seen uh, it. I've seen it time and time again, and that's the explanation. Well, why didn't we do it right to begin with? Oh, we didn't have the time. Schedule was too tight. Those fixes oh. are really a tough one, you know. And hey, we. Mm -hmm. but, go ahead. Oh, that material. That material was too expensive. Uh, we didn't estimate for that. For that, you know, it, that material to be used in this in this condition. So we couldn't. We didn't do that. Well, here we are, five years later having to rip it out and fix it. So, you know, who's the joke on now sort of thing. So, uh, accounting. Accounting. Um, you mean like, like, like budgeting or like keeping track of your account sort of thing. No, the, the pro the project, uh, the project budget, the financials. Uh, you know, I give that an eight or a nine as well. It's very important to keep track of those, um, to understand, to record where, where costs have increased, where costs have decreased. Um, you know, that's a, that's an added value to your project. And the quicker you can get that back, the better and more informative decisions you can make, um, with that. You know, I, I've worked on a project recently and, and we were about 30 days, 30 to 35 days, um, out on our accounts. So meaning I didn't get to see, you know, I didn't get to see the numbers for said month until 30 days after that month had ended. So a whole mm -hmm. month had gone by before I actually sat down and got to see those numbers again. Um, you know, and it, and it really affected the way I made decisions um, because of that. Now we've gotten much better at that and in different, in every project and every, every place I've worked has been different, so. Um, business development. Ooh, um, you know, you don't just win jobs because they fall in your laps. Um, so I think business development is, you know, it's, um, it's kind of the tip of the spear. And if you don't have a good business development team, it's really hard um, to, to get projects in the door. But I'd say at the same time, you know, if you have a great business development team, but you don't have a team that can execute the projects, it's, you know, what's the point? You're going to poorly execute a bunch of projects like so um I, I'd, I'd give that one about an eight or nine as well but it but it goes hand in hand you can't have a good business development team without having a good executable team and what good does a good executable team ha is if you know if nobody's bringing that work in the door so last but not least leadership i i'd give that 11. um <laughs> leadership is huge especially in the construction industry um, having leaders that understand their employees is also huge. Um, I've, I've seen and I've been a part of teams where the leadership didn't respect the workers and there's a lot of animosity it brings to the table. Um, you know, leadership is the captain, captain of the ship and they, they have the ability to steer. Um, and it doesn't matter. I mean, we're, we're talking in the construction context now. 
but it yeah. doesn't matter in what realm it is. I mean, it can, you know, a leader can be a, a leader of a basketball team or a teacher in a classroom. Um, you know, and I, d I do have a, uh, you know, a, a good, good life lesson on that. Um, you know, leaders, um, hold on, let me I'm look this up real quick. Um, you know, leadership should never, um, or as a leader, I guess I should say, you should never ask your employees to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. Um, you know, a lot of times leadership or management um, will just get somebody down the way. Oh, well, they can do it. I'm not, I'm not willing to put the time, effort, and energy in to do it myself. Um, you know, I, I can, they'll, they'll, they'll clean it up. They'll take care of it. You know, and I think that's the wrong perspective to have. I think sometimes leaders, leaders should be the ones holding the dustpan at the end of the day um, to show that they're willing to come alongside and, and, and be a part of the process uh, and not just overseeing the process. Well, you you mentioned something earlier, and I just want to want to comment on that. Is that you know, well, who's who? I, I say not arguably, but some people argue who's the best leader of all time. Well, in my opinion, it was Jesus Christ and how yes. he lead. he he led through servant leadership. You know. Yep. So, um, good good answers, good answers, and uh, I want to thank you first of all before I give you the last word. I want to mm -hmm. thank you for. Number one, I want to thank you for being on today and taking some of your time uh, to do that. I want to thank you for what you do every day. And uh, I, I heard, you know, I, I'm, I'm biased towards construction managers, mm -hmm. <laughs> but when I mm -hmm. find somebody who is an architect that actually either works in the field or has some understanding of that or appreciation for that. I really like talking to them because I think it gives a really good spin on what we do as construction managers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then uh, third, uh, I'm glad to share the podcast with another fellow follower. So mm -hmm. with all that said, um, and, and I do want to give a shout out to Greg. Greg's a great organization. Uh, and I know you've worked for many organizations and you're here re representing yourself more than anything. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do want to just say, uh, uh, Gray is Gray is a great organization. I've had a lot of good friends that have worked for Gray. And if you're in Kentucky and you're in construction, chances are you have some link back to the Gray at one point or time. So that's that's um, true. <laughs> um, but with all that said, you get the last word. Well, Scott, thanks so much for having me on. And it is it's it's good to work alongside companies um, that that value people, um, that value their employees value leadership and just um but more importantly you know um that understands what it takes to get a project completed and just by talking with you and you know the the work that we have um done with your company it's just it's been great and i see those values represented across the board so again thank you for having us on we appreciate it and uh, i hope i was entertaining or informative in some way whatsoever so <laughs> you were you, and i'll have you know you're the first architect i ever ever had on so that's okay amazing. <laughs> out of my 50 podcasts you're the first one so <laughs> well thanks a lot you hopefully the, i did, did, our, did our profession well so. <laughs> what well thank you for joining us for uh today's edition of connex